It's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited to be here. I don't know if I've said this before, but I love being in Quanah, Texas. I love it. There's, there's no place like Quanah. <laughs> I'm excited uh, to get to be here. As we've said, this is Palm Sunday. Today starts uh, Holy Week, and so we're, we're talking today, our sermon is called The Journey, and we're going to be in one passage of Scripture only, John chapter 12. Uh, and we're talking about when Jesus made his way, he's on his way to the cross, and he's got all these people following him that have no idea he's on his way to the cross. And so we're going to talk about what he teaches them and, and the principles that he's teaching them about how to live their lives, and we're going to apply it into our lives. Uh, see, the Bible is relevant. What it has to say was not just good for them, uh, but it's good for us today as well. And so we're going to talk about some of these principles, talk about some of these ideas, and put them into motion. Um, I want a quick plug real fast. Let's do a quick plug. Come next week. Uh, it's going to be a really powerful week. Uh, we're going to talk. I don't, if you're following us on Facebook or liking us, on, I don't know what you say. Friends with us, liking us, whatever. If you're on Facebook, you'll see that next week we're talking about what would be. Uh, we're talking about without the grave, without the cross, what would be? What would our lives be like? And we're going to really see the power of the cross. We're going to see the power of the name of Jesus. Uh, so make sure you come next week. Sunrise service at 7 a.m. Men, 5 a.m. So sleep good the night before. Uh, yeah, make sure you're coming next week and bring a thousand friends or whatever. Um, yeah, so today is called The Journey, and we're going to talk about our journey compared to the disciples' journey, what we need to do in our lives, the way that we can live our lives uh, to the best that we can be. So let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. <coughs> Sorry. I love that it's titled The Triumphal Entry. Yeah, that's good. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. We're going to stop there for just a second. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever been on like a, if you've ever been a child, I'm, all of you have been, but I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> Anybody been a child here before? Yeah. So when I was a kid, uh, we used to do this thing, and I'm sure most parents do this thing. Parents and children, close your ears, but parents lie to their kids to get them to do what they want them to do. You know what I mean? Whoa. And so like when my parents, when it would be time to like go get a flu shot or it'd be time to go to the dentist or something. They would lie to get me in the car, and then it's too late. You know, there's no going back. So I would get in the car, and it's like, oh, it's, we're going to go get ice cream, or we're going to go, you can buy three new toys, you know, whatever. And so we get in the car, and we go get ice cream, and we go get these new toys, and then all of a sudden, they're like, there's one more thing. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, no, nope. <laughs> got ice cream in this hand, Hot Wheels in this hand, we're fine, we can go home. And they're like, no. <laughs> One more thing. And then you get, go get the shot, and you're just, no. But, but here's kind of what's happening in this situation. Okay, see, Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows that there's a, a little amount of time, and then everything's changing. The world as we know it is changing. Everyone around him, everyone close to him, has no idea this is happening. So they're all just happily just going along with Jesus, 
and they have no idea that everything in their lives is about to change. And the history of the world as we know it is about to change. And so what Jesus is doing in these next several chapters, we're only, we're only going to look at John chapter 12. There's so many different things we can learn from Jesus' time in this journey, but we're only looking at this one chapter today. And, and what Jesus is teaching them all of these things, and you'll see later, he says, the light is about to leave, and they still have no idea what's happening. They're still like, huh, what, eating their ice cream, playing with the Hot Wheels? They have no idea what's happening. But Jesus is trying to get out all this information so they can learn. And if it's that important to Jesus that the disciples learn this, we need to make sure we're paying attention. So they're on the road trip. They arrive. Actually, while they're a long ways off, Jesus gets on a donkey and starts going. He got on a donkey, fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. So people are sitting here, and they see them, they see them coming. And they've heard about what Jesus has been doing. In the chapter right before this, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay? So that spreads fast. I don't care if you don't have cell phones. News like that spreads fast. People are thinking, what? And so this is happening. They get palm branches. They start waving them. They're waving these palm branches, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Okay, well, we have to remember that when we're reading the Bible, we have to be in context. We've talked about this before, but English is not what the Bible was written in. Okay, and so things in the Bible... We have to really look at translation. We have to go back and look at original meanings of words to really figure out what's going on. Often we read this verse, and it's just like, oh, this is great. This is a great situation. The people that are shouting Hosanna are actually not in a great situation. And here's, here's how we know that. The phrase Hosanna in Aramaic, the book was written in Aramaic. Hosanna is a term of praise. They are praising. They are happy that Jesus is here. But it's also a cry for help. Hosanna literally translates to save us. So they see Jesus coming, and they begin to shout, save us, save us. And they're waving these palm branches. Palm branches in this time mean victory. And so they see Jesus coming. Jesus starts walking. They're saying, save us, save us, and proclaiming their victory. That's a beautiful picture. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Often we think of the palm branches, and it's like, it's like, oh, yay, Jesus is here. Woohoo! Like, we left the light on for you. Like, we're so happy that you're here. But they're crying for help. They're crying and realizing Jesus is their victory. We, have, we get confused in English because there's so many, like, the word love in English virtually has no meaning whatsoever. I love music. I play music all the time, but I could live without it. I love food. I can't live without it, okay? Already weird. I love my family. I love my family in a different way than I love food. Obviously, <laughs> that would be weird. And I love my family in a different way than I love music. And so we have all of these confusing words, and they don't. <laughs> they have these cry. This is a cry of, of praise at the same time as they're saying, we need you. We need you. See, the first principle, the thing that I think is most important that we take from this chapter, we really, really need Jesus. We need him. These people were proclaiming their victory knowing how badly they needed Jesus. They were waving these palm branches knowing that Jesus was the answer. We need Jesus. 
Also, in translation, you know, there's so many different versions of the Bible, so many different translations of the Bible. Um, when you go back to a more literal translation, there's the verse that says, Blessed is, the king, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Most translations say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Even the king of Israel. And this makes a really big difference when you're looking at it. Even the king of Israel. Even the king of Israel means he was kind of an afterthought. It means there was other things that were being tried first. Oh, oh, blessed is this. Oh, but even the king of Israel. Even the king of Israel. And this is the thought that I had. How often is this our thought in life? When situations come up, when anxiety is hitting, when struggles are happening, we're trying all these different methods, all these different things. We're trying pills. We're trying drugs and alcohol. We're trying all of these different things. And then it's, oh, but even the king of Jesus... We think about Jesus, he's a long ways off. Oh, maybe, maybe the king of Jesus. How, how much different would our lives be if when problems and situations came about, Jesus wasn't the afterthought, but he was the first thought. If we didn't say, oh, even the king, we said, no, absolutely the king. He is our first thought and our first response. So the first thing that we're going to take from this chapter, we need Jesus and we only need Jesus. He's it. He is what we need. He is the only one that can deliver us from our problems, the only one that can lead us through difficulties, the only one that can take away anxiety. It's all Jesus. We need him, and we only need him. All right, we're going to turn now to verse 20. Chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Okay, this is a super confusing verse, a few verses. Um, and this doesn't really sound like Jesus. You know, when, when we think of Jesus and we think he's, he's like all cuddly, you know, he's like, just come here, I'm just going to hold you and, you know, play with your hair. No, also remember, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said some things to get people's attention, Okay. And Jesus was very, very good at getting people's attention. Remember when he walked in the temple and people were doing what he didn't want to do? And he started throwing things? Jesus just walked up to tables, he just chunking tables. Like, whoa, that's not the picture of Jesus. But in this picture, Jesus says, in order to get eternal life, you must hate your life. He has to mean something different. I don't think that Jesus, in this sense, is saying, if you're walking around thinking, man, my life sucks, everything I'm doing is terrible, uh, my family, you know, everyone hates each other, oh, I have the worst job, well, at least I'm getting into heaven. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And on the contrary, I don't think if you enjoy your life that, that you're going to rot. I don't think that's what he's saying. So we have to put this into context. We have to take all of what he's saying 
and read it together. So first he talks about a grain of wheat that falls. And if the grain of wheat falls and doesn't die, then it's alone. But if the grain of wheat falls and dies, it can produce many seeds. I was a terrible student in high school, okay? Absolutely terrible. I'm going to be honest with you. Specifically with science. A, I had no desire to learn anything about science, okay? This is, this is my BC days. This is my before Christ days, so it's okay. I had no desire. I didn't care. I did not see how it was relevant. I also just was not very smart, okay? Specifically with science. But I do know, however, that in most of life, in most of biology, when something dies, it doesn't produce more things. That just seems to make sense. When something dies, it doesn't usually produce more things. So Jesus is painting a very strange picture. We need to keep that on the back burner. Then he talks about hating and loving your life. And that's just like, what does that even mean? Keep that there. Then he talks about service. He talks about serving him, loving him, giving everything to him. And we have to put all of this together. I'm sure at this point, the disciples are very confused. Because <laughs> Philip and Andrew come up, and they say, hey, there's these guys that want to see you. And he's like, well, do you hate your life? It's just like, what? What, is, what are you talking about? Well, are you a piece of wheat? No, it has no, it's just so confusing. But we got to keep digging in. <laughs> So I just can imagine their faces. They're like, hey, Jesus, chill. We just had a question. <laughs> the grain of wheat is where I think we need to start. When the grain of wheat falls and dies is when it produces things. When it falls and dies is when it lives. Okay, are you seeing this? It has to die in order to live. Remember this. Then Jesus says, if you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, you will live it eternally. Okay? If you hate your life, you receive eternal life. Again, I don't think Jesus is talking about actually loving and hating your life. Jesus wants you to be happy. Okay? The entire Bible is an instruction manual on how you can be happy, how you can bring heaven to earth and live in heaven on earth. So it can't be that he actually wants you to be miserable. It can't be that. But let's put it in, in relation with this wheat. What Jesus, I believe, is saying here is not that you need to hate your life. It's that your life, the way that you live your life, has to be that of dying has to be that of choosing something different. has to be that of surrender. See, we're going to call this dying to self. The second principle, dying to self. Jesus doesn't want you to hate your life. But who are you living your life for? Jesus in Luke talks about, talks about taking up your cross, talks about whoever lives his life for him will live, but whoever lives his life for yourself will die. I believe this is what Jesus is talking about. Hating your life, he's not actually talking about hating. He's talking about surrender. Loving your life, it's all about me. Everything's about me. I want to do everything to make me happy, to make me wealthy, to make me feel better about myself. And that's the opposite of the gospel. 
The gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus. And so what he's saying here is, if you're willing, if you are willing to live your life for something bigger than yourself, something greater than yourself, that is when you can truly live. Because remember, he also talks about service. He talks about loving him, serving him. That's what our lives have to be about. It has to be about dying to ourself and living for something greater. Dying to ourself, living for something greater. When the grain of wheat falls and dies, you know what it does? It partners with everything around it to produce something. Everything around it to produce more life. This is what Jesus is asking of us. That we would come and be willing to partner with him, die to ourselves, choose him, partner with him, and create something beautiful. Our story and Jesus' story, that's beautiful. Our story alone, that's tragic. That is tragic. And so what Jesus is saying is, love your life. Choose yourself. Always put yourself first. And you won't make it. Partner with me. Partner with me. Choose me. Die to yourself. And you will have eternal life. I think this is a, a picture of surrender. So I often think about situations and, and, and families and issues that are going on and where our hands are like this. We're so close-fisted. We're holding on so tight because we don't want something to happen. We're holding on so tight. But the problem is when you're holding on like this, there is not a thing Jesus can do because you won't give him control. He can't, you can't get in here. What Jesus is saying is, it's time to die to yourself. Surrender things to me. Surrender yourself to me. Surrender your situations to me so that I can move. The second principle that we need to take from this passage is it's time to die to ourselves. We must die to ourselves. Put ourselves aside and choose to live our lives for something greater. This does look like surrender. It looks like doing new things. Jesus might be telling you to do something, this has happened to me, telling, telling you to do something, and, and pride gets in the way. No, I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. But dying to self looks like, you know what, Jesus? Because you said so, I'm going to do it. Because you said so, I'm going to do it. We might be in, in Texas. We might be in Texas. But you know what? There are lost people in Texas. There are people that need Jesus in Texas. And Jesus might be telling you, hey, you need to go talk to this person. You need to go talk to this person. There's probably people in your family that are lost. There's people in my family that are lost. And Jesus might be pushing on your heart. You need to say something to him. You need to talk to him. Just do something for him. Evangelism isn't just about going and telling somebody about Jesus. Sometimes it's, hey, let me carry your groceries out to your car for you. Hey, let me mow your yard for you. Evangelism is looking like Jesus. And, and so maybe Jesus is telling you to do some things. But because we haven't died to ourselves and we're still living for ourselves, we're holding on, we won't do it. And that, that makes it very, very difficult. It makes it very difficult to live life to the fullest and to live life the way Jesus wants us to live it if we won't let ourselves die. The second principle, die to yourself. The third one, let's turn to John. We're still in John 12, verse 35. <laughs> Verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. 
Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. All right, we think that right now we're in a dark time. And I, I would agree. I think that there's a lot of dark stuff happening. I think that is a, is a, it's a hard time to be a Christian. It's a hard time to figure out how to be a Christian in this day and age. And we still have the Holy Spirit on earth. Okay? When Jesus died, he left the Holy Spirit. So we have the presence of God, and it still is hard. It still is a dark time. Let's think about this. There was three days that there was no presence of God on the earth. Jesus died. The Holy Spirit had not yet been left here, and God is still on the throne. There is three days that the presence of God was not here. Can you imagine the darkness? The Bible talks about a physical darkness. It was physically dark, but I'm talking about spiritually Can you imagine the realization that we just killed the king of kings? There was three days of this, and Jesus is warning them about those three days. He's saying, there's coming a time where the darkness will be here, and I will be gone. They still have no idea. I just picture the disciples. I'm I'm sure this is not right, but in my head, the disciples are kind of like doofuses sometimes. Like, Jesus is, like, flat out telling them things, and they're just like, uh, what? You know, it's like, guys, he's he's telling you what's happening, and they have no idea. They have nothing. But he's saying there's coming a time where it's only going to be darkness. So while you have the light, live in it. We know the rest of the story. We know Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus went to heaven, left us the Holy Spirit. So now we don't ever have to be without the presence of God. We don't ever have to be without it. Jesus is saying, walk with the light so that you can become children of light. Walk with the light so that you can become the light. This is the third and the final principle we need to take from this chapter. We're not supposed to just resemble the light. We're not supposed to just talk about the light come to church, learn about the light, talk about it at dinner. We're not, that's not the totality of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be light. Be light. In order for us to really be the light, the Bible says we have to walk with him. We have to live life with Jesus so that we can, in turn, Become and look more like Jesus. We've talked about we're being sanctified. We're being saved, body, soul, and spirit, to look more like Jesus. But while we're in that process, we can be in the Word. We can be walking with Jesus daily. You know, Jesus cares about the little things in your life. He cares about what's going on in your life. So what if we made the decision to actually walk like Jesus, actually talk like Jesus, actually listen to other people like Jesus did? Man, think about the way that Jesus interacted with sinners, the way Jesus interacted with everyone. And he's saying, you need to look like me. Walk with me so that you can look like me. This is our job. This is everything. Love God, love people. We're supposed to look like Jesus so that we can love people here. 
There's that old saying that says, you might be the only Jesus people ever see. And that is the truth. You might just be the only Jesus that people ever see. The only example of Jesus that people ever see. And I, my fear, even in my own life, is that I don't take that seriously enough. What if there's times, what if I'm in a bad mood and I go into United and I'm, I'm mean to the cashier or something and I'm the only Jesus she's ever seen? What a terrible example of Jesus. And that girl forever will have a distorted idea because I was mean to her of what Jesus looks like. We are supposed to be Jesus to people. That means learning what he looks like, learning what he talks like, learning his nature, learning his character, learning his mannerisms, being with him, walking with him, so that in that we can see more come to know Jesus. Three, those are the three principles I think that are so important we need to know. We need Jesus and we only need Jesus. We have to die to ourselves. Sometimes we have to step back, let go of our lives, and choose Him. And we must be Jesus to people. As we begin to close, I want to go back to the palm branches. This, is just, this isn't even in my notes. This is just something that's coming to me. The people saw Jesus walking in. And it says they went and started cutting palm branches off. They saw Him. And they went to go cut off their declaration of their victory, their professing of their victory. We know, I think we know deep down that Jesus is the only victory. They knew deep down. Six, five, four days later, math. A few days later, these are the same people that voted to kill Jesus, okay? The same, this is the same people that voted to kill Jesus a few days later. But in the moment, they knew. They knew Jesus was their victory. When we are in our situations, in our anxiety, in our stress, in our hurts, in our family, in our family struggles, we know ultimately that Jesus is the victory. There might be times that we doubt, but we know ultimately that Jesus is our victory. And what I think we need to do, what I think we have to do for ourselves, for everyone around us, is begin to proclaim that we already have the victory. We already have the victory. The people didn't wait till Jesus got to them to start waving their palm branches. They didn't wait until they had a conversation with him about Jesus, well, this is going on, can you help me? No, they knew they knew that not only could he help them, but that he already had helped them. Jesus was the victory. He is the victory now. He's going to continue to be the victory. And so in our situations, in our struggles, it's time that we stop looking at other things to try and be our victory. We know that it's him. They looked at other things because they said, oh, even the king of the Jews... Even him, he has to be our first and our foremost victory. Everything else aside, we know Jesus can make a way. He always has. The Old Testament is filled with the most bizarre stories 
of how Jesus made a way when it seemed like there was none. The New Testament is filled with stories about how Jesus made a way when it seemed like there was none. Right before this, Jesus raised somebody from the dead. He seems to make a way. He is the only victory in our lives, in our situations. We've got to take a palm branch and start declaring, Jesus, you have the victory. It looks like surrender. It looks like acknowledging that we need Jesus. It looks like walking with Jesus so we can look more like Jesus and declaring, Jesus, you ultimately have the victory. Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you gave us the Bible so that we can learn more about you, so that we can look more like you. God, I pray in every situation that we have going on that we would begin to declare your victory in the situation. I pray that there would be nothing else that we would turn to but you. That you would not just be our first thought, but that you would be our most consistent thought. That in every situation, we wouldn't say, oh, and even, even if Jesus shows up, we would say, Jesus, you've shown up and you have the victory. We thank you, God, that because you sent your son, we can live eternally with you. I pray that the principles that you have left us in the Bible would stick. I pray that they would mean something in our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.